Our second scripture reading from this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, which can be found on page 939 of the Bible in the pew in front of you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we give you all praise this morning and every morning. For you are God and we are not. And that simple fact uh, changes everything. Lord, we owe our lives to you. We owe you our hearts, our allegiance, our praise. And we thank you that through Jesus it is possible to give you that praise to be accepted in your sight because we have a Savior who died and rose again on our behalf. Lord, this is the hope of the gospel, and that's what we consider this morning. We pray that your Spirit would take your word and apply it to our hearts, and that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Romans, says those very important words. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is the gospel about? What is he talking about? Who is it for? And what does Easter have to do with it? What is the gospel about? Who is it for? And what does Easter have to do with it? If you were to base your understanding uh, of Jesus or Christianity on what happens on a typical Easter morning in North America, uh, there are several different conclusions you might draw about what all of this is about. If your only window into the Easter holiday is what's on sale at Walmart or Target, then you are probably going to think that it's little more than sentimental fluff. You know, an excuse to eat chocolate and color eggs and blow up peeps in your microwave or something like that. (laughs) Which I recommend YouTubing, not actually doing. It's cleaner that way. Uh, If you do happen to wander into a church service, uh, which all of you have, you might actually draw a similar conclusion, but with a slightly sharper edge, it might still look like sentimental fluff, what we're doing here. You know, all of the talk about a a God-man rising from the dead, but it's clothed in a very polished veneer. You know, the beautiful dresses and the bright colors and the joyful music and the smiling faces You know, it can feel like everyone is just so put together, which kind of makes you ask, is all of this real or is this a show? If all of this is just a show, then Easter probably isn't very significant after all. I mean, who wants to waste their time 
going through the motions of looking like they have life together if they really don't. If all of this is real, the happiness, the joyful songs that we've been singing, if we really mean it, well, then there might be something to Easter, at least for those who have it put together, you know, who, whose lives are under control or, or have that religious thing down. But what if that's not me? What if what you see here right now isn't what I'm really like? Whether it's my first time in church or whether I've been going through the motions my whole life. We can look on the surface of the Easter holiday. And when we do, it's easy to come to the conclusion that whatever Easter is and whoever it's for, it's probably not for me, if I'm honest. But Easter is about the gospel. And the gospel is for everyone. And that's what I want us to see this morning as we look at the scriptures. And when we talk about the gospel, we're not talking about a a genre of music you might hear, uh, though the word can mean that. We're talking about the central message of the Bible. So the main thing that the whole story of Scripture is about, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the word gospel actually means. It means good news. But it's not just any sort of good news or any kind of happy report we might give. You know, for instance, you might walk in and say, good news, I got a raise today, or good news, I I passed calc. Uh, This good news is very specific when the Bible uses that word. It's specifically about what God has done to establish his kingdom on earth and to deal with our sin through the life, death, and resurrection of his eternal son, Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what the gospel is talking about. And Easter is about the gospel. It's about that good news, which is something we ought to celebrate all year long. But Easter is a special time each year when we remind ourselves and one another, not how good we are or what we've done, but what God has done for us. That's the focus. That's the point of this holiday. What he was willing to spend to rescue broken, rebellious sinners who deserved only his wrath and judgment and instead to shower them in his grace and his love and his mercy to forgive them and to cleanse them and to make them new and to reconcile them to himself. To, to take people who, who were in the dungeon for treason and to invite them into his family and give them a place at his table. That's what the gospel's about. That's what we celebrate at Easter. As the scripture that we read a moment ago puts it, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's not about what we do for God. It's about his power to bring salvation for all who believe. The gospel is for everyone. But that suggests that everyone is in need of salvation, of being rescued from something, specifically our our sin, 
against God are rebellion, which means that the good news actually starts with pretty bad news, that all of us are much worse off than we would like to admit, uh, that all of us are, in fact, sinners before a holy God. Now, that's not a particularly popular notion today. Uh, Some of us might proudly own that title, but I would venture to guess that perhaps a few of us are rather offended by the suggestion that, you know, I would be a sinner. But I think it's super important to understand when we use that word, what does the Bible mean when it talks about sin? If we're going to understand the gospel and if we're going to understand what Easter is all about, we need to understand what we're being saved from. What is the gospel, the power of God to save us from? It's not uncommon today to think that people are basically good. Uh, as Rabbi Harold Kushner defines good in his famous book, you know, when bad things happen to good people, he says they are, quote, ordinary people, nice, friendly neighbors, neither extraordinarily good nor extraordinarily bad. And I think on a certain level, we can kind of agree with that. You know, most of the people that we meet are generally Good. They're not axe murderers as far as we can tell and things like that, which is nice. But if that's how we define good, we might draw that conclusion. But that's not how the Bible defines what is good. And that's what we have to look at. To be good according to the Bible is to be like God. To be just like him in all of our character, all of our attributes, all of our actions. When one of the religious teachers uh, asked Jesus a question one time, he addressed him as good teacher. And Jesus stopped to point this fact out to him in Luke 18. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In which Jesus was saying two things. One, God is the standard for what is good. And then hinting subtly at the fact that I am good. That's because I'm God. And so if to be good is to be like God. To be holy and righteous and perfectly loving and faithful. To always keep our word. To never cheat on anything and and, and so on. You know, if that's the standard, then I think most of us, if we're pretty honest, will recognize that, that we fall pretty far short of that. But the problem's actually worse than that. The problem is not that we are trying to be good and failing. The problem is that apart from God, we are not trying to be good. We are trying to be God. That's the problem that humanity faces. I'm trying to be the master of my own universe, the captain of my own destiny, to make everything work out according to my plan for my glory so that my kingdom may come. And if you get in the way of that or aren't on board, watch out. We've taken the honor and glory and love that we owe to God as our true creator and king, and we've either stolen it for ourselves or we've given it to something else. That's the human situation. If you've ever spent hours and hours and hours 
working on a project for school or for work, only to watch someone else take credit for all of the work that you've just done. You know how infuriating that can be. That's not right. Well, imagine creating the universe, and and then within that universe, creating a planet and orchestrating everything on that planet just so, so that it can sustain life. And then imagine creating life and, and putting creatures on that new world. And among those creatures, making people in your image to have relationship with you and to represent you as your servants, as your children, only to have those people turn around and say, we did all this. We, we deserve the credit for this. Look what we have accomplished. And, and ignoring the creator, turning a deaf ear to him, even denying his existence, taking the glory and honor he deserves and giving it to something else. That's the story of human history. And it is not right. That, that you know, fury you might feel when someone steals the credit for your work, multiply that by infinity. That's our offense against the living God. And if you think of God as a king, then essentially what we've done is we've committed treason against heaven. And as a holy and righteous God, he must do something about it. And so you continue reading in Paul's letter to the Romans. We read verses 1, 16, and 17 earlier. If we read, starting in the very next verse, in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. You look around, where did this come from? So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So they exchanged the true creator and gave the glory he deserves to part of his creation instead. That's the story of human history. According to the Bible, sin is not only the extraordinarily bad things that we think of, murder, adultery, abuse. Sin is anything that we do that fails to treat God as God. Anything that we do that fails to treat God as he deserves to be treated as God. So ignoring him or his word, uh, doing what we shouldn't, not doing what we should, failing to reflect his character in how we live and what we say and what we do, what we think. Which means, if that's the standard, then yes, in fact, all of us are what the Bible would call sinners. Me and you. 
That's the bad news. But we just said that the gospel is good news. So, so what's the good news in all of that? Well, the good news is this. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of the greatest lies in this world is that if you want to be accepted, you have to be great. You have to be the best at at least something in life if you are going to have any worth before others. And so we spend our lives chasing success and performing for our boss or performing for our spouse or for our neighbors you know, why are you spending so much time in the lawn? Is it really for you or is it so that your lawn looks better than the neighbor's? You know, we perform for our parents or for our children because we want to be loved and we think that in order to be loved and accepted, I must be great. Boston prides itself in being one of the greatest cities in this country. Best education, the best hospitals, the best businesses. And there's nothing wrong with excelling. There's nothing wrong with hard work. That's a good thing. But if your value before someone else is contingent on your ability to perform and be the best for them, that is a miserable way to live. Because you never really know where you're at with that person. Every day you walk in insecurity of whether or not someone better than you is going to steal the glory. And when we take that and apply that to our relationship with God, it's devastating. The logic of that relationship says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's the logic of this kind of performance relationship. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. We have a word for that. We call it legalism. It says to everyone that sinners and broken people need not apply to God. Don't come in here unless you've got it all together, or at least unless you're good at pretending. That is not true Christianity. That is not true Christianity. That's not the message of the gospel or what Easter is about. God didn't wait for us to clean up our act before he sent his son. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's crucial. That's crucial. It doesn't make sin less than sinful, but it adds grace to the equation. The gospel tells us that I'm accepted by God through Jesus, therefore I obey. So my obedience to God is a response to what he has done for me, a response to his favor, not a means of gaining it. And that's a huge difference. The gospel is a message of grace, of being given something wonderful, forgiveness, new life, relationship with God, even though we deserve something terrible, his righteous judgment. That's grace. And what makes grace possible is easter what makes grace possible is the death 
and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That God did for us what we could never do for ourselves in sending his eternal son to die and to rise for us. Do you understand that what Jesus did on this earth, he did for you? When he walked in perfect obedience before his father, when he offered his righteousness, his worship, his covenant faithfulness to God, he did that on your behalf as your representative. He who together with the Father and the Spirit was fully God from all eternity became fully human at the same time so that he could represent you and bring you back to God. His sinless life offered in place of your sinful life. When he was nailed to the cross, he took the punishment for your sin and for my sin. That holy anger of God we read about earlier that's being revealed against all unrighteousness and injustice, against everything that's wrong in this world, everything wrong that we've done, everything wrong that was done to us. Jesus took the full weight of God's holy anger against all of that sin onto himself, dying in our place as our substitute. He took our place so that God could deal justly with sin, which must be punished, and yet mercifully with sinners who need forgiveness. He drained the cup of God's wrath, the fury of hell, to the dregs so that you don't have to. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verses 24 to 25, that he, Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For we were straying like sheep, but now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So Jesus lived for you. Jesus died for you. And Jesus rose from the dead for you. Without Easter Sunday, Good Friday would have been just another Roman execution 2,000 years ago. Without Easter Sunday, death would still have won. And if death still won, that means that sin wasn't really defeated because death is the penalty of sin. But the gospel is the power of God over sin and over death to bring salvation to everyone who believes. And Easter announces to us that death does not win. Instead, life and newness of life, that's what wins. And when you think about what it took for Christ to accomplish that, you know, living, entering into his own creation, living this perfect life, dying a brutal uh, death, executed like a criminal, and then rising from the dead, it's kind of extreme. But this wasn't some sort of accident or plan B. You know, like 
God created the world and that, whoops, they messed up. Guess I'm going to have to send my son now or something like that. This was according to plan. This divine rescue plan was birthed in the heart of God before he ever spoke creation into existence. It had to be this way. As the angel testified to the women at the tomb on that first Easter morning from the verses that Sarah read earlier in Luke 24, he said, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. It must happen. There is no other way. There was no easier course or safer path for Jesus to walk as our Savior. Sin is so serious that it took his very life. And that was according to plan. He knew what it would cost him. Think about this, that that Christ knew you and loved you before he even stepped foot into this world. And that he knew his entire life what it was going to cost to save you, and he did it willingly because he loves you. It was part of the plan. Jesus himself makes the same point at the end of Luke 24. When he appears to his disciples after the resurrection and explains how all of this has happened in accordance with the scriptures. You, you read what we call the Old Testament and it tells the story in advance. Luke 24 verses 44 to 47. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. But notice why it must be fulfilled. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. All nations That means everybody. What Jesus accomplished through his cross and resurrection, he did for all people. And that means you. Easter is about the gospel and the gospel is for everyone. It is for the Jew for whom Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel. He's the Passover lamb. He's the son of David, the great high priest, the new covenant, the son of God. All of that was pointing forward to him. It's for the non-Jew. The gospel's for everyone who's not Jewish, the Gentiles, all nations. (coughs) As God promised on oath to Abraham, that through Abraham, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise for all of us. And so so the gospel is for all ethnicities. If you're white, you're black, you're Hispanic, you're Asian, it's for everyone. Paul summarizes it very well in Galatians 3, 28 through 29. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. (coughs) Excuse me. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The gospel's for everyone. All nations. And the gospel's for the young and the old. It's for the wealthy and the poor. It's for the reclusive teenager who hides in his bedroom playing video games all day. And for the celebrity athlete whom everyone wants to date. It's for the teenage mother and the 90-year-old grandmother. The gospel's for the corporate executive and for the single mom who's working three jobs. It's for children and it's for parents. Don't I know that? (coughs) Excuse me. The gospel is for the clinically depressed and it's for the contagiously happy. It's for the meth addict And it's for the CrossFit junkie. The gospel is for the religious and the non-religious. It's for those who think they have arrived and those who know they will never arrive. The gospel is for Christians and non-Christians. See, we never grow out of our need for the grace of God. We never grow out of our need for what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. Christians need the gospel too. Everyone in this room, including me, whether you're a Christian or not, needs the gospel. And this message, this good news, we're told, is received by faith, by believing, by trusting in Jesus Christ. Again, Paul says, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so that's my final question this morning. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about whether you agree that he existed, like you might believe in Paul Revere. Or even that you kind of approve of what he stood for, like you might believe in the Red Cross. When the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about placing the full weight of our hope and trust before a holy God, not in what we bring to him, but solely in what Christ has done for us. That Jesus is all I have, and that is enough. That's what the Bible means by faith. And my prayer for each of us this morning, whether this is old news or new news, is that we would be reminded it is good news. It is good news for sinners. It is good news for imperfect people. It is good news for people bumbling their way through this earth. That we have a Savior who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And his love is for us. And he didn't wait for us to get our act together. But he died while we were still sinners. Out of grace. Out of love. 
Easter is about the gospel. And the gospel is for you. Let's pray. (coughs) Gracious Heavenly Father, you have given us a Savior. Produce in us a faith to live by him. To make him all our desire, all our hope, all our glory. May we go to him as our refuge. Build on him as our foundation. Walk in him as our way. Follow him as our guide. Conform to him as our example. Listen to him as our prophet. Rely on his intercession as our high priest. Obey him as our king. May Christ be everything to us. And may your spirit apply his work to our lives. To give us faith to the glory of your name. Amen.